Hi, this is Zach Semke with PassFast Accelerator, and thanks for tuning in to this special bonus episode of the PassFast podcast, recorded at Passive House Network's 2023 conference in Denver, Colorado. And a big thank you to Enersign for the support of the series. The interview you're about to hear was hosted by Mary James, our Director of Publications and co-host of the PassFast podcast. Welcome, Jonathan Hines. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm Jonathan Hines, uh, so Managing Director of Archetype, and Archetype is an architectural practice that is 40 years old next year, uh, and we've always specialised in sustainable design, but for the last 15 years we're focusing on achieving that through Passive House. Uh, we're working across the UK, uh, from offices in London, Hereford in the west of England, and we opened an office in Edinburgh five years ago to develop our work in Scotland. So, and um, you relocated to Edinburgh yeah. to kind of manage that work? That's right, yeah. So, uh, we developed a, a sort of strong profile and approach uh, to sustainable design passive house across England and Wales. Um, and I became aware that in Scotland, the Scottish government had got very ambitious climate policies, uh, more ambitious than the rest of the UK. Um, and but I could see that the building industry and the architectural profession hadn't really engaged fully and responded to that with solutions. So I thought there was an opportunity there to bring our approach uh, to the market in, in Scotland. So. But I also knew that we wouldn't be taken seriously unless we were based there. So uh, it worked for my wife and I uh, to move uh, from Hereford we were to Edinburgh. Uh, and I basically started talking to people, knocking on doors, going to events, conferences, uh, and just starting to engage with uh, what I, I believed PassFast could bring to, to best sort of help meet Scottish government's ambitions. So I know that you mentioned the ambitious climate goals, and there's also been ambitious legislation. Um, can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so I would say there's two big things that have happened over the last few years in Scotland uh, that have really uh, changed the game in, in terms of uh, taking forward a more ambitious approach within the industry. Um, the one that happened first was, uh, was not to do with legislation, it was to do with uh, encouraging a move in the design and construction of schools to achieve uh, much higher levels of energy efficiency and environmental performance. And that was done by an organisation called the Scottish Futures Trust, which is the government body that channels money from government through to local councils who are doing, doing the school delivery. And uh, I'd actually gone to give them a presentation about Asifals, uh schools and showed them the evidence of how they worked and that the I can remember the exact words were it all sounds too good to be true <laughs> we can't really believe that it would work as you're saying because we've tried lots of different things and they haven't really delivered what we'd hoped but we'd like to go and visit some examples of schools to see for ourselves so we did a trip down to visit some of the past schools we finished a few years previously uh, and I would say within 20 minutes walking around the first school they were sold on what Pascal's could do because there's nothing better than experiencing, seeing, believing. They could feel the air quality, the even temperature. They could see how tiny the boiler was. Um, and just how many schools have you um, 
designed and were constructed that were built to pass our standard? Um, in that particular council area, we've done three schools, which we could do. We've done probably another four or five in Wales. Uh, and at that point, we went away with two in London. So there was a reasonable number, um, but there'd been none uh, done it in Scotland. Anyway, the Scottish Futures Trust then said, well, we don't think it's right that we should say all schools should be passive house, because that's been very sort of directive to the local authorities. So we've got to do independence in Scotland, but we're funding them. So uh, we want to set an energy metric that sort of steers them towards that what metric do you think we should set? And I said, well, obviously it should be passive house. But actually what's more important than what metric you set is how you're going to enforce that. So if you're not going to require passive house certification, find another way of enforcing the metric. And they came up with a very clever mechanism which tied that achieving that metric to funding. So the way it works is that if a local authority wants to build a new school, they secure the approval from Scottish Government for funding. They have to put the capital up front so they borrow it or use their reserves to build it. And the Scottish Government pays them the money back over 25 years as a revenue payment. But that revenue payment is tied then to achieving this energy metric. So if you achieve 67 kilowatts kilowatt per year for all energy, EUI, then you get 100% funding and there's a sliding scale and if you go below 130, I think it is, you get zero funding. So it's just, overnight, there was a very strong incentive for the authorities to achieve that metric. Now, Passive House guarantees you achieve that metric. So they can try and achieve it any way they want. So not being told to do Passive House, but they know that that's a good way of doing it. So I think of the 30-something schools being done in Scotland in bizarre disruption at the moment, uh, 20 something of them moving on to set up passive house. So overnight, we went from zero to over 20 passive house schools, which is an incredible uh, transformation. It, yes, because uh, you say overnight, but we're talking not very many years, right? No, no, well, no, lit, I mean, I would say almost literally overnight because uh, the, the Scottish, the SFT introduced this new funding program the Learning Estates Investment Programme with this metric, along with other requirements. This was only one of them, the key one. And so from that point on, every new school that wanted that funding had to achieve that energy metric. So there was a, a year or two build up uh, to developing the metric at the SFT. But once it was introduced, that next programme of funding from there on, every school, if they want money from the government, which obviously they're going to, they need to achieve that metric. And they can try it any way they want. And if they persuaded themselves or by a consultant that they can achieve the metric another way, fine, that's up to them. I would say good luck to them. <laughs> but Passive House basically guarantees, because you would expect a Passive House school, EUI, uh, to come in in the 50s, so safely under the 67. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's been a remarkable thing. And what that has also led to is a transformation in the culture of delivery. So when I was first talking to people, contractors, I would generally get a sort of fairly negative, cynical, like this, this will never happen, it can't be done, we don't have the supply chain, to every major contractor wanting to be the one that was the first to do the first master schools and then the next one and the next one and actually doing working really hard 
to develop their supply chain and train up internal champions. So there's been a sea change in culture in the sort of tier one contractors that deliver large schools. And the other thing that's been transformational is that you know, every single architect and engineer that's working in schools is will now have a certified passive designer trained up because they have to be able to do that. Even if they're not delivering certified passive they need to understand the techniques to to make sure their schools do, do it. So, uh, yeah, a, a complete uh, transformation. Wow. All because the SFT came up with a very clever metric uh, to, to, to make that happen. So that was the first key thing that happened. And then the next thing, which is the legislation uh, stage. Uh, again, that's a really, really interesting story um, because what the Scottish government did was set up um, what's called a citizens' assembly, which is uh, effectively what, they, what, what is done is that you choose 100 citizens uh, from the electoral register who are representative of Scotland in terms of geography and social sort of class or whatever. Um, so it's a representative cross-section of Scotland, uh, Scotland's population. Uh, and the, the, the idea of citizen assembly has been done in other countries. I think it was done in Ireland when they were investigating changing abortion law, for example. Um, and it's, the, the idea is that you're taking away outside the normal arena of political discourse and professional thinking uh, and get ordinary people to engage in those issues and see if, what they can come up with. So the Citizen Assembly uh, into climate policy was basically tasked with how can Scotland meet the ambitious targets the government has set in a just and fair way. Uh, and so they investigated every area, um, so transport, uh, agriculture, fishing, energy and built environment. And over a period of I think a year and a half, uh, the citizens were part of this. It was all done online, it was during COVID. Um, basically, heard a whole series of sort of uh, 10 minutes of expert sort of observations or views on different aspects. Like sort of hearing, hearing what's out there from different perspectives in all these different sectors. And then they would question them and then they would, over time, come up with what they felt as a group should become policies for the future in, in Scotland. And so, you know, I was invited to do one of those little presentations uh, and was then questioned by the group of citizens. And I was actually amazed by it because if I was at a, like an event like a conference or a builders networking event or whatever, whatever you are, you would get um, people there with all their professional baggage and their prejudice and their views that have come from how they've done stuff for years. Um, whereas with citizens, it was like, there was none of that because they were coming to it fresh. They were just ordinary people uh, and they were genuinely interested in asking really intelligent questions. So that was very, I found that quite refreshing. And then when the, they, they went through a process then of developing their final report for all the different sectors. And one of the policies they came up with was that, that Passive House should be put into building regulations for all buildings in Scotland. And that was supported by 97% of the 100 citizens. So it was very, very strongly supported. Now, that doesn't mean that Scottish Government uh, has to adopt that. The way it was set up was the Citizens Assembly would make their proposals, and Scottish Government 
uh, would be legally required to respond to those and say yes or no. So yes, they're adopting it, or if they're not, why they're not? Because obviously they wouldn't necessarily adopt everything. Uh, so that's how it was set up. Uh, but almost before that due process happened, one of the members of Scottish uh, of, of the Scottish Parliament, Alec Rowley, put forward what's called a private members bill. So uh, the way it works in, in, in the UK and in, in Scotland is that any member of the Parliament can put forward a bill of their own accord. Usually they don't make it all the way through the process because it will be uh, it, it's much more challenging for an individual member to, to take it through than if the government's proposing a bill. But Alec Rowley proposed a bill to immediately adopt what Citizens Assembly said and, and bring Passive House into regulation for domestic buildings. And <clears throat> so that was very positive. That then goes through a process of public consultation to test what the view is on the wider uh, arena. And I think it was 93% uh, of, the, of the consultation came back and supported taking this bill forward. Uh, the next step in Scotland is you, you test what the sport is within the, the Members of Parliament. And it got cross-party support, so I think almost every party decided they would support it. And so at that point, the Scottish Government decided they would then embrace that and take it on and bring it into law, uh, which is what has to happen for it to, to move forward. And in the debate in Parliament uh, where it was proposed this would happen, um, I think it was a 10 or 15 minute debate, and we, we watched it online and we counted the, the word Passive House was actually mentioned 19 times which must be a record in the National Parliament. Uh, anyway, so it's now been adopted uh, to uh, be brought into legislation by the end of 2024 for domestic buildings in Scotland in the regulation. It's all so, um, can you just define domestic buildings for uh, our audience? And also, does this apply to new construction only? Yeah. Um, so it, it, domestic means residential. So any single, single family through to multi-family uh, apartments, so that's what we call domestic in the UK, and uh, it definitely applies to new build. Uh, whether it will be applied to retrofitting existing buildings, I think is still to be confirmed, but it could well apply to that as well. Um, so, but all the way through in the Citizens Assembly and in Alec Rowley's bill, and when it was announced by Scottish Government, it's always been defined as passive house or Scottish equivalent. I think because politically people didn't want to be dismissed by saying it had to be passive house and all the sort of myths and preconceptions about being a strange German standard being imposed on Scotland. So it's always been passive house and Scottish equivalent. And so the question now is what that means. And with any new bill like this, it's a process of consultation with industry before the final legislation changes in regulation happen. So we're now in a process where the Scottish Building Standards team are running uh, a year-long consultation with a whole series of workshops with a cross-section of, of the building industry. So UK Passivise Trust, which is represented, which I'm part of. There's people from local councils, from house developers, from contractors, from architects, the Royal, Royal Incorporation of Architects in Scotland. Uh, so a representative sort of a group and they're meeting over a year, a whole series of workshops, exploring different aspects of what 
it means to bring it into legislation in Scotland and what Scottish equivalent actually means when you when you, you say that. So it's very exciting. Uh, uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting over the next few months to see how, how that uh, finally shapes up. And um, do you have a sense of how close or differences that might um, come out in this Scottish equivalent of Passive House? Yeah, I mean, that, that's an inter- interesting one because from the UK Passive House Trust perspective, we're arguing equivalent means equivalent. So if Passive House, uh, obviously in uh, metric, 50 kilowatt hours per meter per year, I'm not sure what the equivalent is in, in Imperial in, in the US here, but the thermal energy limit is 15 kilowatt hours. And as far as we're concerned, if you set it at 25, that's not equivalent because it's 10 different. It's not equivalent. Um, but it's so, so I think we're, we're hopeful that the, the base metrics would be adopted in, in full because I think there's political will to, to, to do that. So it's more, I'm, we're hoping, to do with the mechanism of how it would be incorporated. So, for example, obviously, full passive house requires um, full certification by a PHI approved certifier. Now, to suddenly say the whole of Scotland has to do that would be challenging because there aren't enough certifiers to do that. What there is in current building code in Scotland is a whole system of energy certification called Section 6 certifiers. So what we've proposed and PHI has supported is that for Passfast Scottish equivalent, the um, certification could be taken on by those existing certifiers within the current code regulations to be Scottish equivalent. And fundamental to that would be using PHPP uh, because you couldn't do it. Any, you know, the, the current software that's used for wooden code uh, is different and we don't think it's fit for purpose when you get to low energy buildings. So our, our, kind of, our bottom line is PHPP uh, has to be there, the metrics have to be equivalent. Uh, and the process needs to be adapted to fit in with the Scottish system. Um, and you know, I'm pretty optimistic that that will happen. It's not guaranteed because it, a process consultation has to, has to be fair and transparent and open. And there may be other ideas and views that come to the fore. But I think the politicians have been clear it's Passive House or Scottish Equivalent, so it can't be very different. Uh, and it'll be a sea change compared to what's currently done. Uh, and I think what's really interesting is the, the, the driving motivation for the for Alec Rowley, the MSP who put forward the bill, is to reduce fuel poverty uh, because of energy costs you know, for people on low incomes. To get to Passive House, as you know, creates a massive reduction in energy costs and that would be transformative. Yes, um, you know, it's certainly such an exciting development and a role model for other places we can only hope. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it, it is exciting. Um, and, you know, I've been sort of honoured to come here to, to Denver to, to speak at the uh, you know, North American conference uh, and share what's happening in Scotland. But I've also been very inspired by... Uh, some of the examples of what's happening here. So uh, hearing about what's happening in Massachusetts, I think is really incredible what, what they're doing there. So I think we can all learn from each other 
Um, I'm, you know, I'm going to be saying to the folk back in Scotland that you know, the world is watching us. We've got to get this right. <laughs> um, uh, but let's also look at what's happening in, in other places and what can we learn from them. Uh, so I think Massachusetts is a good example. There's some good examples in Europe of how authorities have embraced and, and Vancouver is another great example of, of how uh, people have responded to the challenge of uh, how can we make a sea change in, in energy consumption by bringing demand right down. Passive House is a proven way to do that. Let's, let's embrace it. And um, you mentioned that the builders, the contractors are jumping on board this must require a lot of training. Is there sufficient training to yeah. to make yeah. that work? I would say that is a big issue because, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's the same here in the UK. Uh, architects and engineers don't have a grounding in building science and building physics uh, to the level you need for passive house. The practice haven't got the, uh, the experience. But what I would say is, well, first of all, for contractors, it's not rocket science. It's not that difficult. It's just improving some few key things. And most big contractors have got quality systems in place, and it's tweaking those at the right point to do the air test early, to have a champion who's checking key things. So it's not insurmountable, but it does need awareness and training. So in the UK, the UK Passivist Trust has always supported uh, uh, training, uh, and there's a big network uh, of training with a, a, a sort of collection of uh, experts under under the company name of CoAction. So there's a specific uh, training program for certified passive designers and, and tradespeople already up and running across the UK. Um, but that would be probably challenged to meet the growth in demand that's been happening, particularly in Scotland. We're very lucky in Scotland to have a, a centre which is actually called BEST, which is Built Environment Smarter for Transformation. And it's a facility that's already been developed within the industry to address skills and training and moving towards a more sustainable future. So they've been collaborating with CoAction to upscale training in Scotland and have been getting funding from Scottish Government to actually up, up the number of trains. So I can't remember the numbers, but hundreds of people have been trained and thousands of people are doing sort of awareness, customized awareness courses. The, 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 the big contractors are collaborating uh, to develop a sort of customized passport training for uh, uh, key operatives. So, it's, it, so I think that there's sort of a looming well, the change in the funding for schools and the looming legislation has created a sort of culture change that has led to an increase in, in, in training. Now, that's not to say that I'm sure right here there's a big challenge with skills full stop in the industry and I, I wouldn't want to underestimate the challenge that the legislation might bring and part of the discussion that's happening in the workshops, say particularly with the housing developers, is their concern that the supply chain in the domestic world isn't there yet and there aren't NVHR unit installing them properly, their tightness improvements is going to be a challenge for them uh, and so we have to respect that and we have to find ways of overcoming that and actually I was really inspired by hearing an example in Massachusetts where the state actually put in financial incentives to help builders get over that hurdle 
So that's one of the things I'll be taking back to Scotland to say, is there any possibility that something that helps people over this challenge could be introduced in Scotland? I've no idea if it could be funded, but it's a good example of how to do it. Well, it's, um, I really appreciate you stopping by to talk with us, Jonathan Hines. I, it's very inspiring, and uh, it's great to see you here. Well, thank you very much. It's been uh, great to be at this conference and very nice to sort of chat with you today. And I hope uh, that the interview uh, is of interest and is, is useful to people.